Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. So I thought I'd jump on and introduce this week's episode and Hopefully you enjoyed our 100th episode last week with the fantastic Dave Ulrich. And this week is just as good. I am really fortunate to follow up this succession of amazing guests with Michelle Parry Slater. And I'll tell you what, Michelle is an absolute authority in the world of learning and development. And these strange times we've been in, we are all learning so much, aren't we? Yet many of you, I know as listeners, may not feel confident that you are a learning and development expert. Maybe that's just a hat that you have to wear. And if that is the case, then this is the episode for you where we are looking to demystify learning and development to consider how we can all um, support our organisations in being a learning organisation and you know support in designing learning strategies, even if that's not our number one skill set. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode with Michelle Parry Slater. And welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week, we're going to be talking all about learning and development. Now, don't worry if that is not a topic that you are confident in or familiar with, because that's the whole purpose of this episode. I'm absolutely delighted that I'm joined by Michelle Parry Slater, who some of you may remember from about a year ago when she joined us um, on the podcast. And she is going to come because she's just written a book or actually sorry just published a book called the learning and development handbook I was lucky enough to get um, a sneak preview and it is a fabulous book highly recommended but what we really want to focus on is is how really practical learning and development strategies for people who perhaps don't feel so confident in that area so Michelle thank you so much for joining Um, I'm really delighted that you've um, made the time to come on the podcast again I'm really grateful to you do you want to explain because you've changed roles since I since you came on before do you want to explain a little bit about what you do and introduce yourself absolutely so thank you for having me on uh, Lucinda um, I am Michelle and I founded Kairos Modern Learning so we are a, a a company that specializes in helping people to move away from only offering um, face-to-face learning and and embracing the best of social and digital learning. And it really was when I was doing that role that I wanted to write the book. And we'll come come back to that in a moment. But you're right, I'm now working with the CIPD as Commercial Learning Content Manager. I'm responsible for all of their um, content, which is sold to corporates, uh, commercial content clients. And we are in the CIPD really keen to adhere to our learning philosophy, um, which is about making learning accessible. It's about making learning um, as people need it. So these two things tie up really nicely um, because I always had um, an engagement with the CIPD when I was freelance. And it's great to be able to work with Andy Lancaster and the team in that way. Now, just to go back to why the book, why now, why are we having this conversation? 
It is exactly what you have mentioned in your intro, which is a support mechanism for people who perhaps have responsibility for learning and development, but aren't L&Ders professionally, or they may be line managers who are looking to upskill and support their teams as they need. And um, I wrote this book really to help people to understand how to move away from just doing what we've done for decades, which is transactional buying courses, whether that's online e-learning or whether that's face-to-face when we could do that remember that um you know that sort of thing and helping people to think about how can they do this a little bit um more strategically and differently to be more effective so it's about demonstrating value so it is about helping people um, in their workplace when they need the learning as opposed to waiting for a course to come up and that's really the whole premise of how we add better value in lnd it's interesting. Isn't it? I mean, I, we both are L&D background, um, aren't we? And, and I always remember people would almost get to the end of the performance management cycle and go, OK, so what training do you want now? Which to me was kind of it's kind of like a reward or a shopping list as opposed to for me the training should be enabling us at the right time to perform or in a career it should have a purpose exactly um, right yeah it should it, there should be a reason a business reason that you're trying to solve and that's why the learning um, is there but so often it is that sort of performance management cycle or oh my goodness I've got to the end of the year and I haven't done any learning yet um, and and that's not really where we can add the best value as professional L&Ders so there's so many we were talking before weren't we there are so many angles that we could go at this but we haven't got oodles of time you know we needed to to filter it down so if we were to start with you mentioned strategies if you were someone who is a non-L&D professional and you need to do a learning strategy or you need to come up with something which is more strategic um, around learning where would you start easy one for me this start with the business strategy um, there, there shouldn't be a separate L&D strategy in the same way as I don't think there should be a separate HR strategy. It all just spills out what is it that your business is trying to aim for and go there. Um, and so I often find if you have a conversation with people about what do you want to learn, instantly their brain goes back to what they know, which is classroom or, um, you know, formal, that sort of thing. Whereas if you go along with a conversation around what's troubling you, what doesn't work, you know, where are we now? Um, and if you could paint a, a picture of the future where would you like to be and it's at that place that we can plug in great learning Um, and until you realize what people's future view is what you know what's the strategy that they're aiming towards in their business you can start also talking in their language so if their strategy for example is we want to you know raise our customer profile or or get 100,000 more customers, you're instantly in a frame of mind which is about supporting that growth. And so you need to be looking at L&D solutions that will support people to be able to grow their business. Alternatively, you might have a strategy which is um, expand overseas. So suddenly the L&D solutions would be around that sort of thing. Is this language capabilities? Is this systems capabilities? Um, And that's what you would be looking for. So I would definitely start with the business strategy and what is it that you're trying to make so so therefore you effectively you're finding out the strategy and therefore what the problems are the challenges that people exactly. have got uh, and then you're much more likely to come up with something which is a, a fit for purpose but, yeah. and and comprehensive and, and I guess then that links into something you're going to deliver greater value to the organization um, and if, you know, it, it is something that's to actually provide greater um, impact yeah, absolutely that. And you know what impact you're trying to make. So, you know, back in the day, and I, I talk about this example in the book, I often talk about this, Bob, my sales ty- you know, guy, Bob. And, and the idea is there that, 
you know, the, 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 the director, sales director will come to you and say, Bob needs to go on a sales force uh, course even. And that's very typical, isn't it? At the end of a performance cycle, you've had a chat, you know, the director's had a chat with Bob. What do you need to do? Oh, yeah, I've been on a course this year. Tick box. Mm-hmm. And it should never be about that. It should be why does Bob need to go on a sales force uh, course? keep saying the wrong word today why does he need to be uh, in that space and if we start asking that question as a as an L&D person or as a HR person who's got responsibility for L&D we get much more clear on what it is that we're trying to help Bob with now in the old days of transactional learning and development oh here is a suite of courses out of my course catalogue which one would you like to go on and we would have been doing our job but actually the whole reason that I've written the book is because we need to challenge ourselves to do our job better. We need to challenge ourselves to stop just offering a suite of courses to Bob and say, come on, Bob, what have you done already? Tell me wh- why this isn't working for you. What are the problems that you're trying to solve by going on yet another program? And then we've got a direct measure. So, you know, Bob tells us he wants to close more deals. He's really great at all the networking. He's great at all of the general, you know, sales lead stuff at the beginning. But actually, the most important part, shutting down that customer to say yes, that's where he has the difficulty. Now, instantly, we've got the opportunity to add a solution that will work for him. And we've got a measure. How many do you close now? Three out of 10. How many do you want to close? Eight out of 10. Great. If we can help you move up five then we've we've demonstrated our value in learning and development. Um, whereas we could have just ticked the box, sent him on a course, we've done our job, our KPI is probably a number of learning hours that year. And we, you know, we're doing a great job, but are we? And so it's how do we move from doing that transactional stuff, ticking the box that might be our KPI to really challenging ourselves to do something that's adding value to, to an impact to the bottom line of the business. Mm. And I'd like to come back to the value thing um, later, I think, actually, but there's so many angles we can go, we can go out on this. Um, I think, that, though, if we were, first of all, to, you've talked about traditional learning. So let's go back to the fact that we've got people here who are not L&D professionals. So the likelihood is that we're not at the forefront of what's new. So we know training courses and we know e-learning. Mm-hmm. So what other things should people be thinking about? Or have you got any sort of practical tips for people who aren't so confident um, in this area so as to how to think more broadly? I think the first way of thinking about it is what do you do in your private life? So if you consider, you know, you want to buy a new car or you want to move house or get married or anything we do in our private life, learn a new language, learn a musical instrument, you don't go and look at a course catalogue necessarily. You don't, you know, necessarily go on an e-learning programme. We are incredibly adept as human beings. And we've demonstrated this throughout 2020 and into 2021 about using our network, about um, going online. uh, And, you know, how many people have actually YouTubed a video to watch, uh, you know, how to change this filter in their fridge or fix a, a window in their car or whatever it might be. We have these skills in our private lives. And it's really, how do we translate that into the workplace? Because the problem is that people aren't waiting to go on the course. They're asking the person that they know in the company who might be able to do it. And they are looking online themselves, you know, because we have these skills already naturally now, we we do have these skills. So it's really, when we say embracing the best of digital and social learning, it's that it's bringing that to the fore and allowing that to happen now one of the things that I really recommend people do is consider the environment permission and culture in an organization and what do I mean by that well if we were to just suddenly say okay look on YouTube you know go and watch TED Talks 
that might be one way forward to embrace a digital or a, a social um, learning environment. But it, it, is it practical? Do people have the, the technology? What if you're in a retail environment or a factory based environment? You know, it's not practical to just say you're allowed to watch YouTube videos. Well, what videos? So there's different skills come to the fore. We need to curate good content. We need to say this is a good thing for you to watch, but we also need to think about how are we going to do that? What's the environment that they might be able to do that in? Have they got the hardware? Maybe we need to set up a room in a factory where, you know, once a month people come into and they and they go online. We really need to consider that environment that spills into permission because the permission piece is is where we may think it's implied. We may share great curated content with our employees, with our staff and colleagues, but actually are they allowed to watch it? How much time in the week are we buying into that? You know, Do we need to actually have a conversation with management to say, please be explicit that it is part of your job to be responsible for your own learning and your own development. And we're gonna give you a load of resources, but you have our blessing. We want to hear from you about what it is that you're learning. This is why it feeds into culture. Mm. So be that company culture or learning culture. Um, and what tends to go a little bit awry when people implement a wider offering in learning and development than just go on a course or here's some e-learning is that they forget these foundational sort of building blocks, if you like, need to be addressed prior to actually, um, you know, changing the way of doing things around here, so to speak. Um, you know, there may be other things which are unique to your setting. So it may be in a healthcare setting um, or it may be in, um, like I say, a factory setting that other things need to come into play. Um, but really digging into how are we enabling people to learn and are we enabling people in, uh, to learn in a way that both suits them, but also um, suits the, the, the company and the drivers that we have within our organization? So very often, it's just a case of, of getting senior stakeholder sponsorship uh, and sharing that amongst the organization so that, you know, that it's perfectly normal that the CEO might, you know, what have you learned this week? Um, being built into a, a, an ordinary team meeting, the CEO wandering by and saying, great, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that you're learning. Tell me how that's impacted your day, your, your relationship with clients, whatever it might be. So you can see how tying into the reasons why when we were just having our sort of chat about Bob, um, you know, Bob wants to close more deals. Great. That impacts the bottom line. How are we going to help Bob to do that? Well, we're going to help Bob to do that by perhaps getting him a really great mentor of somebody who closes deals and tying those things up together that he has permission to have those conversations you know I want to see you meeting your mentor on a weekly basis Bob that should be the sort of thing that's coming out of of the, the sales director's mouth to Bob does that make sense yeah absolutely and, and I think it's really key the whole cultural aspect of the role of the the sponsors or the um the, the line managers in terms of enabling this or not and and actually in the role that we might be in in an HR or, or L&D role we can only we have to be mindful of whatever that is. I mean, I was thinking also in terms of well-being. One of the things I quite often say is being very clear to make sure that line managers are overt about the fact that, you know, it, the, we only have about six hours of light a day. Maybe a slight exaggeration. Tell people to get away from their desk in the middle of the day during daylight type thing. The same thing. Feel yeah. you have got permission to learn and yeah. be explicit about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I love the the whole thing about senior managers demonstrating this and, and and walking their talk in terms of in terms of it so how can you encourage them to do that maybe they don't realize this but um having yeah. that awareness 
Some of the challenges that often senior managers get involved in learning when it's compliance and they have to actually prove that. Um, and that. And that's absolutely fine. And I totally understand that. But it's a very, very clear difference between what's information and what is education in this context um, and you know in the book one of the chapters is about how we differentiate that and how we support the information sharing and the why and perhaps we need more understanding of you know why compliance training is so so important and once people understand you know it's not just sit here click through the slides in an e-learning and then do the quiz at the end um, it actually has impact and meaning then people buy into it a lot more and that's where senior managers can really help because they're very interested in being compliant um, and helping to understand the consequences of not being compliant. And I think that's the, the, the problem is that often that's what gives say e-learning or something a bad name because the oh, only yes. time people ever do it is because they've got to go through um, yeah. And I certainly, I think e-learning has changed quite dramatically since the days when I remember you know, 20 years ago of that sort of the, the the painful, painful, painful stuff. Yeah, there, there is so much more now in terms of learning online um, that people can do. And obviously, as we know, we've got virtual courses that people can run and um, there's huge amounts of content that's out there. I guess one of the things that occurs to me that it's also about encouraging line managers to have the skills to coach people to think about what they need to learn or want to learn um, to have that clarity because going back to your analogy earlier about in your social life you you go and ask people or you hear about things you're sort of incidental learning because you choose to or want to whereas um in the workplace I don't know whether people necessarily take that step back and think about what do I want to learn and this is directly linked to a career aspiration uh, or something do we think about what we need to learn to take the business forwards it's one of the reasons why I don't I don't advocate for using learning language. Don't ask that question. What do you want to learn? Mm. Ask that question about what do you want, you know, what do you want to do in the organization? What is it that you're trying to solve in terms of the, the problem? You know, talk to me about what the future looks like and, and sort of come in at that angle mm. because people are very happy to talk about their own um, development within the context of their job. But the, as soon as you ask them to articulate it in learning language, it becomes very difficult for them to actually do that outside of a frame of reference than they already have. And why wouldn't people have a frame of reference which involves classroom? Because that's the way we're schooled through. You know, we may find um, in coming years, people coming into the workplace who've gone through homeschooling like we're, we're dealing with now, talk about learning and development in the workplace in a very different way. And that would be great um, because their, their frame of reference is different. But as we currently stand, if you were to go and ask someone, what do you want to learn um, for your job? How would you expect them to, to challenge um, you than other than, oh, I'd like to go on a course for time management? You know, it, it's just a totally different approach to the language and the discussion. It, it's more around what is it that you're trying to achieve in your role? Yeah. You know, and, and for the, the person who's supporting with the learning and development to then plug in and go, would this be useful to you? I've got some, you know, curated resources around this would that would that help you solve that problem um, you know or how about we put you in touch with a, you know a great mentor or would a, a book club be something that could help you to just start thinking about things differently um, so we're no longer you know selling courses so to speak we are really advocating for um, for, for great solutions through consultative questioning. Mm, absolutely. And the other thing here is in terms of how we think about developing ourselves as HR professionals, like the next level of it or learning and development professionals and um, taking that step back because you're 
um, the point there about different people in the workplace, one thing I notice is that the younger people in the workplace are really good at Googling um, a YouTube video. They will go to, I don't naturally go to YouTube to learn stuff, but they'll teach themselves something on YouTube and come back and do it. Different people have different strengths in that area. Um, but I just wonder how the average HR or learning and development professional develops, because I don't think you'd go and Google things necessarily or go on YouTube. Then I was thinking about us going to our network, because how do I, how if I want something, to know something locally, quite often you'd go and ask your network, wouldn't you? Mm. Um, and I see some of that happening on our, we've got an HR uprising forum on LinkedIn and there's um, Facebook groups, there's various things there. Um, but I know that you use this term in the book of um, a PLN, a personal learning network. I wonder if you might want to talk a bit about that either for us as professionals or actually how you could encourage one of those in an organisation. We've always done it. We've always had a network. We haven't perhaps labelled it a, a personal learning network. And um, it, it's nice to give it a label because it then becomes a real thing as opposed to the naughtiness of asking the person sitting next to you in the office, which is what we always tended to use to do. And the problem with that is you're only as good as the person sitting next to you. And so if they know the answer, great. If they don't know the answer, not so great. And it's it's trying to avoid the almost like the postcode lottery of where you happen to sit in the office or who you happen to know. I mean, I've joined... Um, um, CIPD and I was only in the office for a couple of uh, of months before we went into lockdown so I don't know everybody and it's difficult then to know who to speak to if you can't wander through a corridor and sort of you know come across somebody or or have that happen chance conversation so formalizing a personal learning network is just a way of labeling the intent to Build a bunch of people who can help you with stuff. So I've built my personal learning network over many years through Twitter. Don't tend to use LinkedIn as much, but these two things spill into each other. And the value there is that I can generally put a tweet out, you know, hashtag PLN. I'm thinking about this. What do you think? You know, and and people will just pile in on the conversation. In fact, I did it last week, whether we should or shouldn't use more or less slides um, in a virtual learning class, uh, sorry, virtual uh, live class. And the general consensus is we need more slides than we would need face to face. And it's that type of who do I ask about these things? Who do I approach? And it's people have it anyway. You know, people have their contacts in their company. Um, the value of a personal learning network is they're generally outside of your company. And so therefore you get an external view on what may be an internal um, challenge. Um, and, you know, it's always going back to the two heads are better than one. Well, 20 heads are better than one, 100 heads are better than one. Um, so I find it hugely valuable and certainly advocate for it. And certainly now with technology, we've got that facility to access it instantaneously so much quicker, haven't we? Mm. It is interesting, though, that concept of people in the, you know, the circumstances we're in now, where there are lots of people who have joined companies and don't necessarily know everybody. Have you any tips on how you can do that within a company um, if you haven't got them a, a sort of personal learning network internally? The CIPD have been great about this, actually. Um, we certainly have, we, we call it team at three. We started out with tea at three, where we just had sort of quizzes and got to know each other that way. But now it's formalised a little bit more and the team comes together on a daily basis. But we don't talk about the work. We talk around the work and we talk about things that are, are important. So certainly this year, the theme has been how we um, support each other with well-being, how we uh, enable each other to, um, you know, 
live our lockdown lives productively, that sort of thing. Um, so regular coming together is is really useful. Um, the social aspect, you know, that that what's lost is that coffee um, chat, that serendipitous chat. So we have um, we have serendipitous meetings in that we just call somebody on a Monday at three o'clock. You know, we, we call whoever in the team and just chat for half an hour. Um, so there's been, you know, lovely examples around that sort of thing. But you can do the same. I mean, you might be a freelancer. You might be working on your own. You might be the only learning and development person in your company, or you might be a HR person in your company um, in a very small team who's responsible for L&D. Where do you go and I mean really advocate for looking for people um, you know online um, who are able to support you and the, the willingness for people to do that is is wonderful I mean when I when I started writing the book I really wanted to have for every chapter I wanted a really strong case study to bring to life this kind of you know it's no good just talking about the stuff but how does this look in real life and I've tried to make this a it's a, it's a practitioner's handbook um, and and helping people to see it happen in real life through a case study um, is one way of, of looking at it um, and so I encourage people to just go out and ask you know if you're thinking well I might need to revamp my learning strategy who's got a good learning strategy that they could share now whilst you can't use somebody else's strategy because of course that's linked to their business um, you can use the principles around it you know what did they do who did they speak to how did they build it um, so that the value of a network is immense yeah and the and the twitter network as you mentioned i see that people are very very supportive so if anyone even if you're not on twitter actually and you want to expand it then go out and, and um well follow michelle actually for starters and you can tell us about the no plasters thing because this all links in nicely doesn't it um but, but actually your network of learning development professionals incredibly responsive and helpful so it's a great place to go um yeah, to, to, to get that do you want to talk yeah. a bit about your no plasters which you've woven into your book as well so this started, the whole book thing started off the back of um, a campaign I started in, in 2015. It feels like a long time ago, but actually revisiting it, nothing much is, well, not everything has changed. So I I was asked once upon a time, um, you know, you do things differently, Michelle, in L&D. Um, you know, does this change hurt? And I'm like, no, not really. And they said, oh, you don't need a plaster then. And it, and it sparked the thinking in my mind that this is what we do all the time when we are looking to change things. We might just stick a plaster over something. You know, we, we, we change that one thing. We don't fundamentally shift. And so I started a tweet campaign where I just on a daily basis sent a tweet out to help people to think about learning and development differently. And I called it hashtag no plasters. And that ran for a year. Hashtag the end... no plasters for the southern readers. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. No plaster. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it is no plasters, but anyway. But so hopefully everyone knows it what is. we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> or oh, no band-aids for, our, for your American yeah. listeners. Um... Anyway, sorry. <laughs> trying to be culturally inclusive here <laughs> the idea behind it is that we don't just stick something over something that's fundamentally broken we try and dig down into why is it fundamentally broken and we fix that and how do we do that well that's where the tweets came in so the tweets a lot of the tweets are mentioned in the book because as I say we wanted to revisit them we wanted to see where it had come from what shifted how does that indicate um, that we should be doing things and so I'm running a campaign at the moment called no plasters no plasters revisit Visited. And we're revisiting those tweets from 2015 to just have a look at what shifted, what's changed in the industry, what's moved on. And it's been a really interesting month so far, obviously, uh, you know, a, a month in and some stuff moved, 
some stuff's still moving, some stuff we've has dropped away because we don't need that anymore. So, um, you know, it's it's an it's a way of accessing the book in bite-sized chunks. And I'm going to run that for probably the year. We'll see how it, it, it pans out. But it's just to support um support the launch of the book and essentially, but what I noticed at the end of that 2015 campaign was the right people weren't accessing the right information. What do I mean by that? If you're already on Twitter, if you're already following hashtags, if you're already building up your network, you're probably quite au fait with a lot of modern thinking around L&D. So the audience that I was really looking to help wasn't there. So I moved it over to Learning Now TV, thanks to a lovely invitation from the producer Colin Steed. And we still run. Um, periodically uh, interviews on Learning Now TV to support people to think differently in learning and development. And if you are not familiar with Learning Now TV, do go and check it out, learningnow.tv, because all the interviews are historically recorded on there, um, not just mine, but everybody's. You've got, you know, Robin Hoyle on there. Um, you've got Nigel Payne's interviews. You've got loads and loads of interviews. Kate, Kate Graham's on there as well. So we've done that for a long time. And again, it's about reaching another audience. Um, and then the book idea really was um, just to reach other people, because, of course, people who are transactional learning development or perhaps not in learning development, there might be line managers, there might be HR professionals, um, you know, they wouldn't necessarily go to these other spaces. And that's one of the reasons why the book, um, you know, is important to reach everybody with this sort of thinking that we can do things differently. It's about taking a systematic approach. It's about looking at the, the, the foundations of your learning offer rather than just sticking a plaster on. Let's switch out that, uh, that e-learning course for a virtual live classroom course, or let's switch out that face-to-face -face course for an e-learning course. It's about a bit more of a fundamental shift. I mean, that almost takes us full circle, doesn't it? Because actually what you're saying is what's the problem? So so you're actually yeah. fixing the actual problem. You're sticking a plaster on the actual problem. Well, not you're not just banding, sorry, not bandaging it over it. You actually get to the, the solution. And Yeah, totally that. I won't, yeah. I won't go into wounds, you know, getting in terms of that. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> um, so finally, let's just refer back to the book. It's a really accessible handbook here, the uh, Learning and Development Handbook. It's out on Kogan, by Kogan Page. What I really enjoyed about it is the fact that you've got the, the longer read, the shorter read. You've got your hashtags. It's really nicely broken down. And clearly, the I like the setup in terms of the agenda where you've designed it to different learning preferences. There's a little bit for everybody, isn't there? All of the topics are demystified. So certainly in terms of accessing it is there anything in particular that you draw people's attention to it's great that you picked up on that actually Lucinda because I, I really wanted people who are in the moment to be able to pick this up get a bit out of it and then go away and do whatever it is they're trying to do it's a, it's a practitioner's handbook and so it needs to be accessible so like you say I set it up so that you know if people wanted to they could read the whole book in you know a little over an hour by just reading each chapter's shorter read and if they're interested and want to delve deeper Deeper, then they can go through the longer read and they can look at some of the, um, the, the questions and the suggestions that I've put in terms of thinking, um, you know, questions and, and the case studies and that sort of thing. So I've tried to encourage people to be able to dip in and out. So I know myself as a practitioner, I don't necessarily have time to read a book from start to finish. And I might pick up a book that I really like from an author that I really, you know, know and admire. And sometimes it's a little bit hard to get into in order to to then just you know whip off and have a conversation with a stakeholder um you know that so I've tried to kind of make it 
so that if necessary, it's the sort of thing that sits on your desk. And before you go and have that phone call, you can just open it and go, OK, we're going to have a phone call about, um, you know, learning strategy. Boom. Let's just quickly refresh my memory on some of this stuff. Absolutely. As it's, there's a really nice table for the readers there. That, that was the thing I was looking at. And if you went, actually, someone's talking to me about social learning. What on earth is that? You could go and have a quick, quick look at that and, um, and feel a little bit more confident about that conversation and better prepared for it. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining, Michelle. Great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actor Software, the joined up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 